Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I know that some of you are missing sports these days since everything has shut down for the last number of months. And uh, my family in particular, we're actually still enjoying the recent Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl championship led by the unstoppable and nearly miraculous Patrick Mahomes. So let me start out with a story about the Chiefs Super Bowl run from this past February, but this is a different kind of story. This is an alternative history story, okay? A, a what if kind of story. Imagine if this would have happened instead. So imagine if the Chiefs went through their 2019-2020 season just like they did. They let, were led by the brilliantly athletic Mahomes. They went through the necessary adversity any championship team has to endure. There were injuries. There were some losses. But as the playoffs rolled around, they were primed and ready. They easily dispatched with the Texans. They grinded out a tough win against the Titans, and then they met the mighty 49ers in the Super Bowl. And then the strangest thing in the world happened next. After only two plays on the field, on their very first drive in the first quarter, Andy Reid, the Kansas City coach, pulled Mahomes out of the game and let some guy no one had ever heard of and someone without any experience or proven capacity to win any games run quarterback for the Chiefs during their championship game. Mahomes wasn't hurt in this scenario. He wasn't tired. He wasn't uh, distraught or overwhelmed or sad. He, he was the perfect player to lead his team in that moment. At the top of his game, the hero of so many crucial moments in the season that led up to this moment that got them here. But they put him on the bench at exactly the time that they needed him to shine the most. Now, of course, this is an alternative history. The real story is that Mahomes led the Chiefs to a come-from-behind epic victory to secure their first championship in 30 years and was named MVP of the Super Bowl, and he was the hero that they needed that day. But imagine if they'd taken him out just as the biggest game in a generation was getting underway. Now, the reason I want to start with this alternative history is because this is Ascension Sunday in the church calendar. And John Minan taught us last week, after his resurrection, Jesus spent about 40 days, he did spend 40 days with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom and commissioning them for their ongoing work in the world. And then he ascended into heaven. And so this past Thursday, just three days ago, was the 40-day mark after Easter that, where we celebrate Jesus' ascension. And this Sunday, traditionally in church history, is a Sunday to consider what the ascension means for our lives. And so the reason 
I start with this totally made up story about Patrick Mahomes is because even though the Chiefs hero did not actually abandon his team in their biggest moment, it sort of feels like that did happen with the early church. Okay, at least you'd be tempted to think so if you were there that day. Consider the circumstances. Jesus spent about three years of ministry gathering his team of disciples, a a network of 12 disciples, other ministry partners and followers. Um, But at the crowning moment of his salvation plan, his crucifixion on a cross for the atonement of sins and the healing of the world, all but about five of his followers totally bailed on him. I mean, every one of the 12 disciples except John. It's not exactly the most reliable team, not the crack team you would hope for to launch a worldwide movement. But then in that moment, Jesus pulls off the greatest jujitsu move of all time as he's raised from death. He takes all the force of evil and sin and Satan that has rushed at him, seeking to destroy him. He takes all that violent energy and receives the blow. But in the process, he spins his enemy around with their own violent force. Jesus sends sin and death and the devil flying off in the other direction, utterly defeated. All right, he deals our greatest enemies their final blow that secures the victory and establishes God's eternal kingdom forever. Here's the summary of the whole story. Jesus is the man, okay? Like he is the champion. He's our hero. He's the goats, the greatest of all time. As the kids used to say, Jesus is boss. He is the one shining light on this new team called the church. And after this epic three days of his death and resurrection, he spends the next 40 days reteaching his followers, regathering his team, and he teaches them all he taught them before about the kingdom, and then he recommissions them. As John showed us last week, to, to be and to bear witness to King Jesus to the very ends of the earth. But knowing what we know about this church team so far, here's the question. Is 40 days really going to do the trick, or do we need a more extensive retraining than that? I mean, Jesus has carried the load for his team the whole time so far. He's the only one making it happen, getting things done. And Jesus' small band of followers, they are reunited, they are re-energized, they're refocused, but they're still a little bit of a sad sight to behold. But they're back in the game, okay? Jesus has been winning for them so far, and they're back in the game and they're there. And right as Jesus launches them into the world to build and grow and extend his church from 50-ish people to the billions that will call Jesus king in the history of the world, in the first minute of the final game of the season, Jesus gets up and goes home. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus was called out of the game right when the team presumably needed him most. He wasn't hurt. He wasn't mad. He still plans on winning the championship, completing the greatest comeback season in the history of everything. But to do this, he gets up and he goes home and he ascends to heaven and he did tell his followers this was coming. So, so the night before his death, he says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. This is almost the same thing he says in our passage today as he ascends into the clouds. The problem is, I personally, at least, have a hard time believing this promise from Jesus is true. To me, having Jesus around seems like the better deal, right? I mean, he would be a living, walking, breathing proof for my doubtful heart to trust in. Walking around in his resurrection body like Thomas, I could go up to him and and touch him anytime I had a question about whether this was real. Think how easy evangelism would be if Jesus hadn't ascended into heaven. You say to your friend who's considering and investigating Jesus, you wanna see something cool? Get on a plane with me. We're gonna buy a plane ticket to Jakarta or wherever Jesus happens to be pastoring a church right now. We're gonna set up some office hours with him and I'm gonna take you in to see and talk to the resurrected king of everything. He's right here, okay? But here we have it. From the mouth of the man himself, it's actually better for you if I go home to heaven. So today, Ascension Sunday, I just wanna ask why? Why is it better that Jesus went home to heaven in the first minute of what feels like the championship game? And of course, there are many reasons, but for our time today, I want to name just two. There's two roles or or offices or identities that the resurrected and ascended Jesus lives out for us now because he went back to home to heaven then. Because Jesus ascended to heaven, he is our eternal priest and he's also the eternal king. All right, so we're going to take the priest first. In the Old Testament, God gave his people, the Israelites, a whole system of priests and sacrifices and temple worship and holiness laws and all this stuff to help them remember him and live lives that were oriented around him, worshiping him. And buried in those long Old Testament passages that are hard to read um, about which animal to kill on which feast day and which purity law applies to which situation, buried in there is some fascinating stuff that, believe it or not, can deeply impact your life and mine if we embrace it as the gift from God that it's meant to be. Okay, so check this out. Each year, God ordained or or commanded that a high priest was appointed from the tribe of Levi. And once a year, that priest would go into the holiest place in the temple, the inner room called the Holy of Holies. There he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of the whole nation. It was the life of an innocent creature to cover their sins. So the role of the priest in God's plan was to represent the people to God. So this one man was selected to stand in for the whole nation. He was their representative in the presence of God. And tradition has it actually that this was such a daunting task that to carry the sins of the people before an awesome and holy God, that they would tie a rope around the high priest's foot Uh, Just in case he was struck dead that year, they could just drag him out instead of having to send some other poor guy in to get him and drag him out. But anyway, when the priest walked into this holy space, he wore a breastplate that was covered with 12 precious stones embedded in it. And those stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, he carried the names of his people on his body into the holy place to meet with God. We read about this in Exodus 28. Aaron, the first high priest, 
shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment on his heart. So when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. What does this have anything to do with us? What the priest in the Old Testament did for the people symbolically, Jesus, our great high priest, has done for us spiritually in his ascension. Okay, so Moses and Solomon, they built models when they built the tabernacle and the temple, but Jesus has ascended into the real thing that the models pointed to all along. The real holy place in the universe, the, the, the throne room of heaven, is where Jesus goes to represent us, his family. In, in Hebrews 4, we read, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, ascended to heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us trust and believe in all that he's done for us. And like the priests who wore breastplates with the names of their people, carrying them into the most holy place on earth, Jesus now carries your name. If you're connected to him, if you're in him, united to him by faith, he carries your name into the presence of God. You're there with him in a real way, even right now. So the ascension is what makes sense of some of these wild verses, like this one that we find in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that you've been saved. And then he raised us up with him and, catch this, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, there is some real sense. It's spiritual and it's mysterious, but it's very, very true that you are with Jesus even right now in the throne room of heaven. Okay, if he has saved you, and if you look to him as your friend and king and great high priest, if you trust his promises are for you, Jesus has carried your name, your deepest self, into the presence of God with him when he ascended into the true holy of holies. So you think you're on your couch at home right now, Okay, and you are, that's fair. But through Christ, you are literally seated in heaven with God as well. How does it feel? You have one foot in this world and one foot already secured in heaven. Samuel Rutherford was a 17th century Scottish pastor and he wrote this, my heart is not my own. Christ has already run away with it to heaven. And that's true of every believer, every follower of Jesus. What's the payoff to all this? Why does this matter for our lives here and now? Well, let's let the author of Hebrews continue to guide us through this amazing truth. Chapter 7, starting verse 23, he writes, the former priests were many in number. Okay, so the Old Testament priests, there were lots of them, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. In other words, they couldn't do the job forever because eventually they would die. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since, and this is, the, this is the real ringer, he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus's mission in life right now is to live to make intercession for you. 
in heaven. When Jesus came down to earth, he took on our humanity. He joined his divinity, his godness, to our humanity forever. And now that he's returned to heaven, he's brought us back up with him permanently. He, he represents us in the same way the priests represented the people of Israel. Jesus represents the whole family of God. He's our stand-in. He's our hero. He's our advocate before God the Father. And he's able to save to the uttermost because he always lives to make intercession for his people. Do you hear what this is saying? Human Jesus is in heaven right now, advocating for you, praying for you standing on your behalf, thinking of you, holding you in his mind and in his heart, and representing you in heaven until you're there with him as well. He's going to bat for you. He's working for your good all the time. He's holding your seat, reserving your place, and living for you there even now. Now, I, I get that this is deep and certainly mysterious, and all I'm trying to do here is to show you the verses and, and say, this is what God says the ascension means for you. Um, you already have a foot in heaven, even while you have a foot here on earth, and it's actually more than a foot, really. Your deepest self, your truest identity is safe with Jesus there. He carries your name and reserves your chair. Now, now for me at least, this, this truth, even though it is mysterious and deep and kind of out there, it gives this jolt of confidence. It, it gives a freedom to live for more than just myself while I'm here because really, if you already have a seat saved for you at the greatest meal and you have a, a seat reserved at the greatest party in the greatest family for the greatest existence for all time, then you're a little more freed up now while you wait from worry and selfishness here and now. If you know that the resurrected, ascended Jesus has already carried you into heaven with him, if you're already that safe, locked in, then we're freed up now for a little bit more risk, a little bit more generosity, a little bit more giving of ourselves for others because everything that we would ever want or need is already secured for us by Jesus in heaven. We're freed up for the mission of Jesus because of the ascension of Jesus, which is actually the second thing that the ascension means for us now. If Jesus represents us in heaven right now as our high priest, then we actually get the honor of representing him on earth as our great king. So let me read another uh, ascension passage for you. This one's from Ephesians 1, starting in verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? That's the ascension language. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, also above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here we learn Jesus is not just the great high priest, but also the ascension means he's the great king who has gone up to his throne room and now rules over everything. Jesus now sits at the command center of creation. 
So the seat behind the desk in the Oval Office that we're all going to vote to fill here at, in, in a few months, um, it's not actually the most powerful seat in the world, contrary to popular opinion. There is a command center called Heaven where our human King Jesus sits right now. He's wrapped in the same skin that we're wrapped in. He's filled with the same bones and organs and neural synapses that we have. This resurrected human King Jesus reigns over all the world. And as his follower, you're not just a recipient of his grace, although you're certainly that. You are also an agent in his kingdom. You're an ambassador in his state department. Yes, you live in this land, but it's not your home, not really. You're on, a, you're on foreign soil for the moment, representing the home office. You're an expat in exile, and you take your marching orders from another voice, another place, from heaven itself. See, Jesus' ascension to heaven, it's actually the foundation for the global mission of his church, his body. We, we just learned Jesus is the head of the church, the church is his body. And if you let me extend the metaphor just one more place, um, the, the Holy Spirit is like the neural network that connects Jesus to every extension of his body. The Holy Spirit guides us to move and live out what Jesus intends. The Holy Spirit empowers us to obey and frees us to love in ways that we would be totally incapable of if we were disconnected from our ascended king. Jesus' ascension gives great dignity and value to our earthly lives. So the relationships that make up our life, ecology, school systems, government policy, art, all that earthy stuff on earth matters. And here's why. Because Jesus took that earthy stuff up with him to heaven, didn't he? He's a human man reigning as our king. Jesus frees us up to care for and love and invest in this world because of his ascension. But his ascension also frees us up not to be so attached to the earthly stuff of this world. You see, we can be freed from having to find our meaning and identity in the here and now, the success, the money, the adventure, the sex, the family, the work. All that's good, but nothing as good as the future that awaits us with Jesus. And again, in some mysterious spiritual way, the future that is already ours today because Jesus is alive in heaven. The ascended king has freed you to follow him and represent him in lovingly subversive ways as we live out our lives here in faith and community, a bit of heavenly risk-taking maybe, all the while remaining deeply connected to the source of life, our resurrected, ascended king. And as the angels say to those who are standing there, staring up at the sky on the day that Jesus ascended, why do you stand there looking into heaven? This Jesus, he will come back in the same way that you saw him go. The implication? So quit standing there and get on with the mission, representing King Jesus here on earth until he returns again. Jesus did not abandon us when he ascended to heaven. He's not sitting on the bench during the most important game in history. The opposite, actually. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he sealed all the gifts of his gospel in heaven for you forever. He brought us with him there, a human man 
wrapped in real skin, is seated on a throne in the heavenly realm, governing and reigning over this entire world. He represents you there, so you are freed to represent him here. He bears your name on his body into the holiest place in the universe so that we can bear his name. We can bear witness to his name on earth until he comes again. That's the freedom and the mission the ascension of Jesus means for us. It's why he went home, to empower us and free us to live in his name and follow him until he returns. Let me pray for us and thank Jesus for this great ascension mission. Jesus, we we are grateful for all that you achieved for us while you lived on earth, died and raised again. And uh, even though I'm sure some of the disciples felt like you were leaving them uh, with too little to go on, your ascension has sealed in all of those great gifts that you won for us. You're our hero and our champion. Thank you for representing us to God. Thank you for giving us the honor of representing you to the world. I do pray that your spirit would empower us to do this lovingly, to do this subversively, to do this compellingly, and and to witness to you in a way that makes people ask questions about you. God, guide us and lead us. You are our ascended king, and we love you. Amen.